I'm excited to announce that season 10 starts today. It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognized the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. My next guest was born in Shanghai, China, and reached out to me to share a part of her relinquishment and adoption journey. It brings me joy for the younger generation of adoptees to honor their voice and be public with their lived experience. Her name is Soraya Baker, and I enjoyed listening to her beautiful, strong voice and words. Truly, that of a wise young woman who has made the decision to take agency of her life. Soraya has experienced what Dr. Gabor Mate calls big and little t traumas as a transracial adoptee, sexually abused, and expected to not identify with her Chinese culture through most of her childhood. In this episode, Soraya opens up about now owning her identity as Asian, a Chinese-American, by intentionally saving herself through recently leaving the Mormon faith and being estranged from her adoptive family. She is on a quest to find her biological roots through DNA testing and welcomes this new chosen path as a way to honor herself after years of feeling disconnected from her origins. She is a writer, and creating poetry has been a source of strength in her backpack of truths, as she puts it. She will gift us with two of her pieces by reading them towards the end of our time together. Her powerful message stays on my mind. Her words are a reminder of how we can create purpose from our pain by putting our oxygen mask on first. Allow me to introduce you to an adoptee currently living in Portland, Oregon. And though she wondered as a little person growing up in Muncie, Indiana, why she couldn't quite grasp what being loved really meant through all the negative experiences, she decided as an adult that she has the right to choose and better understand herself. I believe you'll receive through her words what opening her eyes to chart her own course and way has proven to be a tremendous value in living a life on her terms. Well, hello, Soraya, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. I know you're in Portland, and how are you doing there today? I'm doing well. Um, it's kind of windy where I am right now, and it's chilly, and probably some rain's going to come, but uh, definitely uh, it's switching to winter here. So, Same here. It was really cold the other day. In fact, it snowed a little bit, and and it iced up. I'm in Chicago. Uh, for an extended period of time, and I couldn't have picked a better season <laughs> to be here because <laughs> Chicago's um, known for brutal winters. Oh, yeah, most definitely. 
we don't get snow here. We get mostly just rain, so it's not too bad. Oh, that's good. I've never been to Portland. I've been to Seattle, but I got to get mm. to Portland. So I know you reached out to me via email, and I was just honored to receive it. And I loved how you started it when you said, my name is Soraya with an exclamation mark. And I just got, <laughs> I just lit up. I got excited. I was like, oh, wow, this is nice to hear from an adoptee, particularly from your generation. I say that a lot. And you're two years younger than my son. So mm. it's like always a treasure to hear your perspective. And so thank you for reaching out to me and, and trusting me to share part of your story. Thank you. I appreciate you letting me talk to you and even having our initial conversation. It was just, I said, it was just kind of a very positive experience for me and kind of gave me some almost insight before, you know, ever moving further than that. But I really appreciate just being able to know that you care about this topic as well as you don't care about that healing process. I do. And I think it's so important when we hear from adoptees that did not have a necessarily good experience or even had a very heartbreaking experience at the hands of their adopters because it's important that people know that many adoptees were certainly not saved if any at all were saved, uh, but certainly uh, there have been situations in years of mm-hmm. abuse. And we'll get into that whenever you're ready, wherever you want to start, and however much yeah. you want to share would be great. Of course. I was adopted from China. The story that I was given when I was adopted was that I was abandoned about a month old for my birth family. Uh, they left me at a park. Um, I was found by officials who brought me to the police station. It's only the time I've ever been in a police station. So they kind of guesstimated as a month old and they sent me to an orphanage where I spent the first three years of my life. I know that a lot of people will ask me if I remember anything from that and I, I don't. I more likely kind of feel like I have feelings about it than memories. Um, but my parents kind of gave me a very set kind of idea of what happened for my first three years and what the orphanage was like that I lived in. So I was about three when they met me. I have a brother who's also about the same age I am. And uh, if you put us together, I looked like an 18-month-old child just because I was really malnourished when I was there. My mother would tell me stories about how, you know, they spoon feed you really fast with a hot spoon. So you had to learn how to swallow the food fast if you wanted to eat. We had rags for diapers. And so a lot of that issues down there um, were a problem. Um, And then if it was during the weekends, the workers actually could go home for the weekend. So the kids would be left alone uh, on the weekends until they got back. And so you hear things like that. And so definitely I have at least visually been seen that I guess my experience for my first years are not the best and not the most positive. So it's always a lot to take in when you hear that kind of beginning for yourself, especially when you were taught, you know, the first three years of your life are the most important. So to know that that kind of 
things were happening and there was no love or play or all these things, conversations happening with the babies and children. It almost makes you feel kind of worried <laughs> for your future. Like, okay, then how am I going to move past all that? Because that's a lot to, to, to be told when you're a kid that that's how you started out your life. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's hard. And your parents are white Americans? Yes, mm-hmm. they are. And I am the only adoptee in my family. So it wasn't very hard for me to figure out that I was adopted by my family just by the way I looked. Uh, but it definitely, like I said, it was, it really was a very interesting experience uh, to be involved in, in their family, especially being adopted into a Mormon white family where the idea of eternal families is a big part of the, the culture. So I think you almost have that automatic, you don't have to worry about, you know, being unloved or you don't have to worry about, you know, not having a family because you will have one forever. But I think there's one way of being taught that and then one way of being, you know, treated, you know, a certain way that makes it kind of confusing for someone who especially is an adoptee. Because I think for many of us, it's no matter how many times I think our parents can tell us that they love us or that they'll love us unconditionally or they don't have favorite kids, that there's just a sense of fear of abandonment that, that it just consumes us. And it's hard for them to understand when, you know, they tell us like, well, I love you. I don't know why you can't grasp that. And we're like, I don't know why I can't grasp it either. I want to, but I can't. And it, it's a very hard thing. So when you get punished or when you don't do the right things, like for, for them, it's you know, like every other child that they have. But for me, it's a big experience where it was really turned out to be like a negative feeling of like, I don't like this. This is not a positive experience. Mm. I know that. You're currently learning about your history, your language, and culture. Mm-hmm. So you didn't get any of that growing up. Yeah, rarely. Yeah, my parents once in a while would you know, say, hey, it's Chinese New Year. Here's an envelope with a dollar in it. Or, hey, do you want to learn how to um, you know, make a, a Chinese dish or something? Um, so simple things like that, but nothing where it was, hey, I think it's important for you to understand your culture. And I had said in the beginning, being taught how negative my experience was in the orphanage or how negative my parents saw China when they lived there, it definitely made it hard for me to take pride in my my culture. So when they would argue that, oh, well, you never asked to, you know, integrate in the culture. I'm like, well, you didn't give me a good, <laughs> good experience in wanting to to be involved in my culture. And so it's definitely that kind of a clash, which was really difficult, especially when people do, you know, insult you or, you know, make fun of you for being Chinese. And you are, you know, you have that dissonance where it's like, I know that that hurts me, but at the same time, I, 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 it doesn't hurt me because I, I know that I'm, you know, I'm white because I'm with a white family. So I'm protected, you know, because I'm in this white community. So it doesn't hurt me, you know? So it was a, it was a, almost an identity crisis, I'd say, for most of my life where um, I felt safe in kind of the white ideology um, until I had to get the rude awakening that I, I'm not white <laughs> passing. I'm, I'm, I'm Asian and I'm Chinese. And so, you know, and having that happen then late in life too, I think it's, it's, it's crazy just because 
And I said, I think you want to know who you are. And when, especially as we adoptees, not knowing who we are or where we came from, it, I think it, it is a hard blow for some of us to kind of come to that realization that we're not as safe as we thought we were. Yes, hearing and receiving insults about Asian culture, about the Chinese culture, I, yeah, that particularly hurt to know that you experienced that and and you didn't have these mirrors, right? You don't have, you just have white people all around you and you're not able to, you know, see yourself like in other mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, adoptees, we often talk about the lack of mirroring. What I learned from you is there's absolutely none going on, nor is there an interest in you having that, which is so important for all of us growing up. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like being in a bubble. And that's kind of, I was thinking about that earlier, where it's just like I was very, you know, limited to what was happening in the outside world that you just feel safe, not only because, you know, with the family I grew up with, but the religion that I live with. And so everything was just put neatly kind of packaged in a way where you didn't have to ask any further questions. It was, it was just, here's what we have, here's what you've got, that's what you're going to work with. But at last, I think sometimes that, that fails. And I think, like I said, to add, I think, assault to the wound was also the fact that when I was about nine, I was sexually abused by a family member. And that really confused my mm. mind again, where you're like, I'm adopted because you love me, but I don't understand if you love me, why did this happen? And, mm. and so that, I think, definitely yeah, also, again, who am I? <laughs> I don't know what I am. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I was thinking about the white parents, and, and I don't know if you would use the word whitewashing that went on, mm-hmm. uh, but then mm-hmm. there's that other layer, the Mormon piece, the religion piece, mm-hmm. and then this next layer of the abuse. I, I just know that at some point you decide to take agency and redirect your life and so you want to talk about that? Yeah, well, I think that's, and like I said, it's something that's really important to me since we initially talked was that idea of agency, which is, I think we sometimes forget what that really means. I think in this world where we have the right to choose, we have the right to do this and that. And like growing up in a, a religious family, you have the right to choose to an extent, right? When I finally decided that I wanted to, to leave that life behind, that I wanted to know who I was, I wanted to understand myself, um, I had to make those choices. And it's crazy to know that sometimes those great choices that, that are the real choices are the most terrifying. And I've always uh, been afraid of change. I've always been afraid to be abandoned. I've always, you know, all the natural fears came along with that. But once I finally decided I wanted to be happy and I wanted to, live the life outside of Mormonism and outside of just feeling that I was limited to in a white aspect of things. I was able to, uh, I think, really be able to find joy and happiness and to be able to start healing. And that's been one of the base things is the healing of, okay, I, I'm Chinese. Okay, I am adopted. What does that mean? I feel help with abuse what does this mean what am I going to do about that and a big part of that of course was having to relearn my culture how do I re-understand what being Chinese means versus what's been you know 
on the news and things like that, understanding the culture prior to that. What what does family mean to you know Chinese cultures? What does you know Chinese New Year and you know fall festival? What do those mean to them? Like what is that versus looking? I think almost if we can say instead of just looking at the governmental idea of China is the way it is because of the government and um, knowing that those people are real people. And so that was a big hit for me to be able to start opening my eyes into that direction, but also realizing that I wanted to associate with other adoptees. Again, as you're saying, I didn't get that opportunity. I didn't know that was a possibility or that there are other people like me that I could connect to. And so when I had finished college in, in Colorado, the first thing I did when I was in Portland is I, I looked for adop- adoptee groups. And that's the biggest start that I had to help me with the healing, to understand that other people had these experiences that weren't as, I think, foreign as I thought they were. I think it, it definitely had, you know, it allows me, like I said, have those mirrors and being able to reflect on other people and to be able to then further my decisions of how I want to move forward with maybe searching for my birth family or being able to be an advocate to adoption or to be able to chart my own path and to be able to create my own backpack of truths in life and to be able to allow myself to, I think, just be myself in an identity that I can see versus one that I had no opportunity of seeing. I like how you put that backpack of truths. I don't think I've ever heard that before. I have to borrow that. Yeah, so, well, um, the concept is, uh, it's actually, I give credit to my significant other. Um, it was a concept about kind of like life. There are things that are going to happen. People are going to say mean things. People are going to judge. People are, uh, you know, said, life is just going to be difficult. And sometimes, you know, when we have to figure out what we do in these situations, there's this reality that we all have a backpack in our life and there's backpack is filled with the truths that we know about ourselves and so when you have to question if you're making the right decision if you have to question you know do I not talk to my parents or do I talk to my parents do I what do I do in these situations you can look at what do I know at least and Mm so I can know that I'm I'm an intelligent person I know that I'm caring I know that I'm this and the nice thing about that backpack is those truths don't change I think you can add on to your backpack for sure but it's something that like I said it's stuck with you and once you get that that idea stuck in you it and it's it's something that has helped me a lot throughout (laughs) my time in in this healing journey yeah and I can picture my backpack on me with me I don't leave it behind right I must have it Mm -hmm. to continue on my way yeah I like that and so tell me and the audience about these groups you found once you graduated from Colorado. What Was this in person, online? And yeah. yeah. So I first, this, of course, I think I started, um, they're online, most of them, but they are meetups where you can start meeting people. So at first, as initially adoptees within, of course, Portland, and then connecting with them and telling our stories. And I think just being able to know that, you know, you're not alone. It wasn't, I think, something where we had a significant topics or other things we had to do but having that connection and then from there being able to I think the nice thing about the, our journey of choices and our journey that we have is that we can continue our growth and learning and so after I made friends I said hey now I want to be able to talk about you know specific things about how to heal from these things, what groups are like that. And so I found some amazing groups here in in Portland. Um, We have something called uh, the Mosaic Group, 
they are an adoption group that supported the BIPOC adoptees. They're another group that are here in Portland. I think I went to one of their group sessions and it was really amazing, again, to expand your knowledge, not only to you know, Chinese adoptees, but other Asians and Black adoptees and Indigenous adoptees and Indian adoptees and being able to hear their stories. And again, it just, I think it's amazing to see how I don't know how small and significant we can feel as adoptees sometimes, but when we find that community, when we are, when we partake of that first experience with them, I think it's just this out of the fog moment where it's the this is not a singular lonely experience as you know as I thought it was before, and to be able to know that you can connect with people and then and have those opportunities, and then once that started happening, you know, I was like, okay, I want to be able to connect with people by telling my story because um, I think that was another big thing was I started realizing that one day or later my mother would want to write a story about me so I said well what if I get there first then I won't have to worry about that so I decided that instead of of course writing which I like to write more mostly poetry but I decided I wanted to start verbally telling my story so I, I thought that that would be a great way to be able to of course share my story be able to of course listen to other people's stories and experiences and I think that's also something that's been important is that advocacy part right I know there's moving movement of growth on my end where I've I wanted to do things with this being adopted versus just I think just feeling like I'm an adoptee but just being an adoptee I think it's it's definitely a life-changing experience for me Wow, that was all good. I think you mentioned Adoption Mosaic. Mm-hmm. Yes, I don't think I've met a person in the Portland or in the surrounding area of Portland that has not connected with Austria. Doing amazing work has for many, many years, decades. So I'm happy to hear that you got connected with that organization. And and I, I did, I hear you saying you no longer feel isolated and you're hearing that there are other people who have experiences similar to yours. When we connect to the adoptee community in particular, like meeting with other adoptees in person, online, there is a sense of community where we no longer think we don't belong. Like now we have this sense of belonging and we don't have to explain so many things because fellow adoptees know some of the things we're dealing with having been relinquished. I was in foster care for two years before being adopted. So these these changes as a little person that went on in our lives certainly have affected us. And the next person hearing our story, the next adoptee hearing our story, can just about automatically relate. I know that's been what's most rewarding about me being connected to the community, and that's what I hear you saying. Has, have there been any challenges? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think one of the greatest challenges, I think, well, two, let's say, is, of course, the support of my family. I think uh, one, one of the biggest things I'm working on, of course, is looking for a birth family. And I know that this can be a challenging experience on both ends for birth families ever for the adoptee and for the adoptive parents but I think there is almost that feeling that I kind of learned in one of my my meetings um, was that you know I, I don't fully know if adopted parents know what they're getting themselves into or what they're signing up for when they adopt a child 
So I think some people just think that, you know, I'm here to love a child and raise them and that's that. But there are going to be challenges where kids struggle with mental health. Kids struggle with understanding why they feel different. Kids struggle with wanting to know where their birth family is. And I know that sometimes with adopted parents, that can be a struggle for them. They don't know how to handle that because they didn't expect it. They just felt the kid would be okay with their new family and everything would be great. And so I think that can sometimes be difficult for for me to be able to say, hey, this is important to me and I want your support and have that hesitancy of, you know, it could be scams. I don't know if I have enough. I don't think I can support you in, in that financially, which is respectful, but just still the, this is part of my, you know, process. This is something that I want to go through and I don't want to go through it alone, and especially with people who, you know, even if I did struggle in, in being raised by them, like I still care. And I think so that's always hard is having the follow-up saying hey this is what I'm doing now with my adoption I'm doing podcasts I'm telling my story I'm doing these things and to you know want of course right always want that love and support from your adoptive family I think is is a, is a challenge and so that's something I definitely have had to deal with I think another part would be uh, connecting with adoptees I think is a wonderful experience but I think few of us can come to the point where we start uh, mirroring ourselves onto them a little too hard so when they start talking about their struggle with their parents and you're talking about your struggles with your parents, being able to know how to you know, create those boundaries and being able to say, we're here to share experiences, but I'm not here to live, relive my experiences with you. I'm not here to, you know, I think take charge of your experience and tell you what to do with it because I can't. I, I, I cannot take my story and take every other person's story that I've talked to and say, oh, those are now my experiences. Therefore, I know what to do with that. I think it's irresponsible for us to try to solve the issues of other adoptees just because we're so different. And then, of course, I think it's always having to be respectful of, of your own personal boundaries. Um, I've had a few times where I've had great ideas where maybe I wanted to create a YouTube channel, maybe I wanted to write a book, want to do all these, you know, I think exquisite things to continue this journey, but I also know that I'm, I'm a human and I, I have limitations. And so when I do get that exhaust or that I need that break, I have to take it. And I think that can be daunting because you want, right? You want to have the answers. You want to feel like you are doing your part, you know, in, in the, the adoptee world. But also you need to know that you're a human being and sometimes we can't do everything all at once. And so definitely taking breaks, it was in its own right, its own challenge, because I think we are people who want to be able to solve that puzzle. We want the truth. We want to be able to find that happiness. We want to fill that void. And I think sometimes to our own detriment, we forget that we need to take care of ourselves. Wow. That was, that was really good. Soraya, you sound so wise beyond your years. I'm listening to you talk about create boundaries and being, and it being irresponsible for us to take on, say, another adoptee's a part of their story or what they have experienced as as our own. Like I totally agree with that. I'm happy that you're getting started early with with your understanding of how to move through different circles and spaces, even within the adoption community. Yeah. I find that funny that you say that I've started early because I would tell you um, the most recent people I've met probably I'm in my you know, early 30s but I kind of joke with people like I am so far behind <laughs> you know you hear about these younger people looking for their families all these things and you're just like 
I wish I, I like maybe it'd be easier to find my birth family if I was younger and all these things. So it, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I won't lie to me and a few other people would tell you, oh, we feel so bad. See there? Well, then, oh, then I'm, <laughs> I'm a dinosaur because I wasn't anywhere where you are now. Like the, the conversation that you're having with me, I was not having, I didn't have a clue. And it wouldn't be until my late forties that I would say, okay, enough already. Like how much more time are you going to let go? And I'm, I'm 59. So I am totally telling you that you are getting started early and I'm, I'm just here for it. I think that's great. And, and yes, yeah, some people are starting earlier, but I think when you can kind of get a handle in your 20s and 30s, or in your early 30s, my son is 33, and I think about the things that your generation are, are doing and getting started with, and it's just my opinion that my generation just wasn't doing that at that age necessarily. So that that's why I say that. And I, I also think that your understanding based on your lived experience so far, because you've been through a lot, hardship and heartache. And to say, I'm going to take responsibility for my life and what I want it to look like going forward. I understand you took a DNA test. I didn't get a DNA test until 2017. And even when I ordered the kit, I waited, I think I waited at least four or five months. Part of it's my personality. But I think the younger generation is saying, let's get it done. Let's do something now. Let's get started sooner rather than later. And so I applaud you for that. What are your hopes with having done the DNA testing? Yeah, of course. Well, I just submitted one of my DNA tests to a Chinese database and got the results, you know, mostly a lot of fifth cousins and beyond. So I think definitely there is that, again, again, it's a, it's that natural feeling, right, of, of our wants and desires that I would want or hope that I would have found somebody closer because I used that. But I think I think you're saying technology and, and the future have so much to, I think, offer for us. And like I said, years prior to this, this wasn't a thing where you had these databases. So I think it, it's a, a beautiful opportunity to say that we have these DNA tests available at this time. You know, technology will improve where we can better you know, hone down some of these people. But also, I think it, it's experience and one that, of course, I had to learn really fast because I don't know about you. I like to be very positive and I like to be very like anticipating that good will come out of things in, in the end and and I think sometimes that's hard because you have to sometimes put your expectations on on the back burner and just let you know it take its natural course if you find them if you don't it's like you are doing your best yes. and I think that's what you gotta look at yes I agree you're doing your part and I, mm-hmm. I often think okay I'll do my part and I won't be attached to an outcome, but at least I'm positioning myself for what may be possible. So, yeah, I'm, I'm that way, too. I, I do quickly reframe things, and I, and I just look at what it is that I can do. And I wanted to ask you about the poetry, because I didn't know that until now. So you write poetry. Do you still do that? I do, yeah. So when I was 
very young, I, I started writing. I think it was my only way to express my feelings and ask, you know, be able to share what I felt and ask what I felt in my, my writings. And so I recently started getting back into writing on the poetry, but also trying to record all the poetry I've done since I was a kid and nice. trying to see what I can do with that. So would you like to read it. something today? I'd have to dig. Let me look. I yeah, I can uh, probably do something for you. Yeah, I would love for you to read a piece of your choice or even more than one. And whenever you're ready, that would be a good way to <laughs> to kind of wrap things up today. Perfect. Let me pull it yeah. So whenever you're ready. Okay, this poem that I have is called They Can't Hurt Me Anymore. And it goes, initially the hurt came towards my birth parents. How could they abandon me? How could they not want me? Then the hurt came from China. How could they have a one-child policy? How could they prefer sons? Finally, the most painful hurt came from them, my adopted parents. How could they not protect me? How could they not understand me? How could they raise me in a cult? The hurt being unbearable, it continued with friends, with lovers, and with myself. But they can't hurt me anymore. I welcome the knowledge and information I can get about my birth family. I welcome having my inner child healed. I welcome learning the Eastern ideologies versus the Western ones. I welcome the resources and education available regarding my motherland. Finally, I separate myself from that which is hurtful and destructive. I put boundaries on those who try to tell me who I am or what my story is. I find the love and comfort with those that accept me, see me, and who make me feel safe. I give myself a platform to tell my story and my truths. Heal while learning myself and my identity. They can't hurt me anymore. No, not ever again. Wow, that was a powerful piece. I love the questions in the beginning. And then to go right into they can't hurt me anymore. I love that. And I thank you so much for sharing it with us. Of course. All of us. And were you going to read another piece? I can. All right, this one is called Advocacy. I've always been terrified of being an advocate, probably because I couldn't advocate for myself. So when I finally decide I want to tell my story, I want to be an advocate, I want to advocate for adoptees, what does that mean? Even my best friend asked, will we advocate? Let me tell you, I will advocate for adoptees who are asking themselves why why do I feel this way? Why do I do the things I do? Why can't I be who they want me to be? Why am I not enough? Let me tell you. I will advocate for those who feel unsafe in a place where they should feel safe. I will advocate for those who not only feel like they have to be perfect in their family, but for other groups or institutions. I will advocate for those who feel that they carry more than one identity. I want to be an advocate for ex-Mormons. I want to be an advocate for those who are survivors of physical, emotional, and verbal abuse. I want to be an advocate to adoptees. I want to tell my story. I want to work on advocating for myself. I am still terrified, but not of being an advocate. Wow, that was good. I want to be an advocate. I will advocate. That was so well done. Thank you so much for sharing both pieces with us, Soraya. In closing, is there anything I didn't ask you 
that you want to share? No, I, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to speak to me. And I think the greatest message that I could at least give on my end is, is I think the very first conversation you would have with it, there's a certain kind of agency, I think, that people understand that can be limiting in its own right. But the real deal is that I think there is this real deal of advocacy that we have that allows us to choose for ourselves in any manner of how we want to be, who we want to be, and how we want to feel. And I think that's something that I had to learn really late in life. And I think for people who are listening, whether you're just starting out or just you know, asking yourself like what I should do, I, you go and do. Um, you make those choices. You look for what you're looking for and you make sure you got your backpack of truth right with you so that you can uh, navigate through this world because it is your choice that is that we may not have had the choice to uh, be abandoned we may not have the choice to have the family we have we do have a choice of how we live our lives and how we want to heal and how we want to I think go on these epic journeys of meeting new people like us or being able to find our birth families and I just want to leave people with that well, thank you. I can't think of anything better to leave us with. And I'm so happy to know that you'll be recording your words, that that is something I look forward to. <laughs> so thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It's been great. Thank you. I was happy to hear Soraya say that she's going to record her poetry that she's been writing through the years. What a great idea, so others can hear her words in her voice. I would encourage all adoptees to read their written words aloud. There has been a healing element to that for me and many other adoptees. When Soraya says that adopters don't necessarily know what they are getting themselves into when they adopt a child, that strongly resonates with me. There are going to be challenges for sure. Adoptees often do struggle with mental health, understanding why they feel different, and, of course, wanting to know about their birth family. I can attest to all three of those during my youth. I hadn't heard an adoptee quite express the way Soraya did how sometimes adoptees can mirror themselves a little too hard with another adoptee in the community. I appreciate her sharing that. I believe it is the awareness, if and when that occurs, is key. Both the listener and storyteller can take good care of themselves by setting boundaries. I agree with how important having the loving support from adoptive parents is, and a necessary component of great parenting. I was happy to hear that Soraya has connected in Portland with Adoption Mosaic, founded by Astrid Castro. The organization's events attract adoptees from all over the globe, especially the younger generation like none other, because of Ostrich's level of commitment for decades to our community. After all, adoptees are the experts. I heard loud and clear Soraya's commitment to being an advocate for adoptees and other marginalized groups. In her piece, Advocacy, it's worth repeating a few lines again in closing. She wrote, I will advocate for those who feel unsafe in a place where they should feel safe 
I will advocate for those who not only feel like they have to be perfect in their family, but for other groups or institutions. I want to be an advocate to adoptees. I want to tell my story. I want to work on advocating for myself. I am still terrified, but not of being an advocate. Thank you, Soraya, for having this conversation with me. Hearing you speak inspires me. Your hardships and heartache as an adoptee aren't stopping you from making a beautiful difference in the world. I wish you all the best as you continue your journey in life's adventures to have more of your questions answered about your motherland. And as you put it, let life take its natural course when you make the decision to do your best. If you're an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, visit JenniferDianeGhoston.com. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow and or give, hopefully, a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I trust you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is still the very best way for the show to grow. Thank you for being here.